Good morning. The first scripture reading for today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The second scripture reading is a compilation of verses selected from the letters of Paul. Let there be thankfulness to God. Make music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you'll overflow with thankfulness. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. We're coming off of two of the most demanding sermons of the whole year, both for me as a a preacher and you as a congregation, these very direct, pointed, in-your-face sermons about financial giving. And so this morning, I thought we deserved a little bit of a breather, a little bit of a a respite. Uh, We got a, a somewhat more gentle message on the subject of gratitude and thanksgiving. And this is actually a... A message I give every year. This is a tradition at LMCC to, to dedicate the Sunday before Thanksgiving to the subject of gratitude. So this, this same sermon has gone through several iterations now, and there's a little bit of new stuff every year and some of the same stuff from the last year. Um, but we need the reminder uh, on why it is that, that we're supposed to be grateful. And uh, I'd like to start the same way I always start, which is with the claim that Thanksgiving is the greatest American holiday. And Say, well, how can you say that as a Christian minister? I mean, what about Christmas? It's the birth of Christ. But uh, I'm talking about American holidays. So Christmas as an American holiday has nothing to do with Christmas the Christian holiday. And by the way, Christmas the Christian holiday is definitely second Easter. Easter is definitely the best uh, Christian holiday. But as far as American holidays go, the reason that I love Thanksgiving is because it's so straightforward. It's right there in plain English, the purpose of the holiday. This day set aside for celebrating, for getting together and for giving thanks. You can't confuse what it's supposed to be about. And as soon as you stop and say, okay, we're, we've got this day for giving thanks, it, it raises this question, well, giving thanks to whom? See, Thanksgiving doesn't make any sense unless there's a God to whom you can give thanks. And that has been understood and assumed in every time and place besides our own. So I want to read you, again, as I do every year, Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation from 1863, the official start of Thanksgiving in the U.S., which emphasizes this. This will be up on the screen as well. 
He says, this is middle of the Civil War. He says, the year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies to these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added, which are so extraordinary in nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart, which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great gifts. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and voice by the whole American people, I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I read it to you every year for a few reasons. One, because it's this brilliant piece of Lincoln rhetoric that gets forgotten and overshadowed by the Gettysburg Address in the second inaugural, which isn't really a very Christian reason, but... um, Two, because it's, you know, it's part of American Thanksgiving. You really shouldn't celebrate Thanksgiving as American without reading that. But three, and most importantly, I read it because it, it underscores this idea that you, when you say thank you, you have to say thank you to somebody. The whole idea of giving thanks is giving thanks to God. And you say, well, as a counterargument, how much giving thanks really gets done on, on Thanksgiving anymore? I mean, isn't it now just kind of about... Um, the food and the the parade and football and you know if if there is any actual giving thanks it's just one person saying a prayer before the big meal and speaking of the big meal um, isn't Thanksgiving probably the biggest single day of gluttony of the whole year which is one of the seven deadly sins if I'm not mistaken so so what you know how is how is it that Thanksgiving is, is so great and and all that's true um, we have this book in our house of children's Thanksgiving poems, and our girl's favorite of these is a poem called, I Ate Too Much. <laughs> I ate too much turkey, I ate too much corn, I ate too much pudding and pie, I'm stuffed up with muffins, and much too much stuffing. I'm probably going to die. I piled up my plate, and I ate and I ate, but I wish I had known when to stop, for I'm so crammed with yams, sauces, gravies, and jams that my buttons are starting to pop. I'm full of tomatoes and French pie potatoes. My stomach is swollen and sore, but there's still some dessert. So I guess it won't hurt if I eat just a little bit more. And the, and the question is, how do you keep that from happening? Not, not eating too much, that's another sermon. But how do you keep this problem of letting Thanksgiving go by without gratitude? Whether you, you know, you're focused on all these other things besides saying thank you. And the answer to that is it's the wrong question. It's the wrong question to ask, how do I reclaim Thanksgiving Day? How do I make sure that I say thank you on Thanksgiving Day? Because gratitude is not supposed to be this once-a-year thing. It's rather supposed to be the bedrock of our lives, especially as Christians. So that's what I want to look at this morning. Not how do we restore Thanksgiving Day gratitude, but how do we restore all-year-round gratitude? I want to look at it under four headings. First, the significance of gratitude. Second, the source of gratitude. Third, the sickness of ingratitude. And then fourth, a strategy for becoming more grateful. So the significance of gratitude, the source of gratitude, the sickness 
of ingratitude, and then a strategy for becoming more grateful. Those will be the four sections to this morning's sermon. So first, the significance of gratitude. And here we're basically just rebutting the, the notion that gratitude isn't really that big a deal, which I think is, is the common notion. I've even had people say to me before, a, a sermon on gratitude, that's kind of a, a boring topic, gratitude. And I, I get what they mean. It's not, it's not a very sexy virtue. It doesn't get a lot of attention. And you might not even think of it as a virtue in the sense that you wonder if Gratitude is a, a positive spin on complacency. If it's, a, if it's a way of saying, well, I'm not agitating for change. You know, I'm just stuck where I am. But Cicero said, gratitude is not only the greatest of all the virtues, it's the parent of all the others. And in recent years, science has actually been backing him up on that claim. So uh, you know, psychology is only 100, a little over 100 years old. You know, Freud's interpretation of dreams was the year 1900. And for the first 80 or so years of the history of psychology, it's focused exclusively on the negative and the abnormal. And it's only within the last couple of decades that it's finally become um, academically respectable to do a study on positive stuff. So you see for the first time these happiness studies happen over the last 30 years. And one of the biggest areas of new research in the field of psychology over the last 15 or 20 years is in this area of gratitude. There have been all of these metrics developed, all these scales for showing how grateful a person is, all these surveys, and all these techniques and methods, exercises for helping a person to become more grateful. So I want to read you a summary of some of these findings. And this is for people that either score really high on these gratitude tests, have a really high metric score for gratitude, or practice these exercises that people give them uh, that researchers give them. What, what, what they found is, as a summary is that the people who score higher, who practice gratitude, are happier, less depressed, less stressed, more satisfied with their lives and social relationships, have higher levels of control of their environments, personal growth, purpose in life, self-acceptance, have more positive ways of coping with the difficulties they experience in life, are more likely to seek support from other people, have less negative coping strategies, less likely to try to avoid the problem, deny there is a problem, blame themselves. They sleep better. This seems to be because they think less negative and more positive thoughts just before going to sleep. Gratitude has been said to have one of the strongest links with mental health of any character trait. Two recent studies have suggested that gratitude may have a unique relationship with well-being and can explain aspects of well-being that other personality traits cannot. So it's just like Cicero said. It's not only the greatest of all the virtues, it's the parent of all the others. And of course, the Bible has said this all along. Martin Luther, the great church reformer, said, gratitude is the basic Christian attitude. Gratitude, and even more than love or faith, gratitude is the basic Christian attitude. And the reason he says that is because you open up the New Testament on every page virtually is some admonition. Give thanks. Be thankful. Do this or that with a thankful heart. You heard kind of a mashup of all those read earlier. I want to read it to you again. We'll put this up on the screen. Just a a number of selections of what I'm talking about here. Just over and over again. Let there be thankfulness to God. Make music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow in the truth you are taught and you will overflow with thankfulness and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Whatever you do or say, do as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. 
Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do you get it? Thankful, 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 thankful. Just over and over again. It's all through the New Testament, these, these admonitions to be thankful. Jonathan Edwards, who is widely considered to be the most important theologian in American history, wrote in the 1700s, uh, one of his life projects was trying to tell the difference between a true religious believer on the one hand, somebody who has the Spirit of God in them, and a religious phony on the other, because we all know there are both. And he wanted to know, how can we tell the difference? You know, what's the test? What's the criteria? So he came up with a number of things, but one of the things he emphasized was that gratitude is a real defining mark. He says, if a person's not grateful, they don't have a grateful heart. No matter what else they do, no matter how powerful they may be spiritually, no matter how much they know, you can almost be certain that they're not a true Christian, if they're not grateful. And there's a, there's a great story in the Gospels that emphasizes this truth. There was a story you heard during the scripture reading, the story of Jesus and the ten lepers. So you may know the story, Jesus is walking from one town to the next, and these ten guys who have leprosy or, you know, ostracized from the community, quarantined, call out to them and say, have mercy on us, heal us. And he says to them, well, okay, go start walking to the priest. And that's what they would have to do first if they were healed. They'd have to go to the priest because the priest was the one that could examine them and say, yeah, you're good, you can rejoin society. So he's essentially saying, uh, start walking, and as you start walking, you'll be healed as you go. And it happens exactly like he says. They start walking, they're healed as they walk, and nine of the ten go on to the priest, and one of the ten turns back and goes and thanks Jesus, throws himself at Jesus' feet and says, thank you. And Jesus says a couple of things. He says, first of all, where are the other nine? And then he says, secondly, he looks at the guy and he says, now that I see you come back to me and thank me like this, your faith has made you well. Now go. You can go now because your faith has made you well. And it's a strange statement for us as readers to, to see that because we think, well, wait a minute, didn't he make all ten well? You know, the, the, the other ten, the other nine, all ten of them as they walked were, were cleansed, it says. So why does he say specifically of this guy, your faith has made you well? But if you read closely, there's two different terms that are used for being healed or being made well in the passage. So of the first nine guys, or rather of the ten altogether, it says they were cleansed. In other words, they were healed physically. But this word that Jesus uses at the end of the passage, it uses only of the tenth guy who comes back to say thank you. This word that, that's translated, your faith has made you well. That word is the Greek word that in most of the New Testament is translated as salvation. Your faith has saved you. This thankful faith, this gratitude faith has saved you. So nine of the ten were healed physically. Only one of the ten was healed spiritually. Only one of the ten was healed on a soul level. And what was the difference between finding that healing or not was nothing more than gratitude, than thankfulness. Gratitude is a big deal. It's a very big deal. Extremely significant. It's the first section of the sermon. The significance of gratitude. So moving on to section number two, the source of gratitude. First, the significance. We see what a big deal it is now. It's source. Where does it come from? And the easiest way in this case to get at the source of the phenomena gratitude is to get at the, the root of the word itself. So the word gratitude comes from the Latin word gratis, which wouldn't be very interesting, except gratis happens to also give us another English word, which is grace. The grace and gratitude come from the same root word. And it's not just a coincidence that they, they start with the same three letters. They come from the same root word. And that's because they're not just related concepts. Grace and, and gratitude aren't just two words that are in the same family of words. Rather, grace 
and gratitude are two sides of exactly the same coin. All gratitude is, is acknowledging grace. What's grace? Grace is just receiving something, anything that you don't deserve. And gratitude is just naming that, calling it out, saying, grace, I saw it, it happened, grace. That was grace to me. I got something that I didn't deserve. And this is actually clearer in every other language besides English. So, you know, for instance, in, in Spanish or Italian, you say gracias or grazie. You receive grace, and so you say grace back. You say, I got grace. Or in French, it's mercy. You receive mercy, you say mercy. I got mercy. The only place this is preserved today in modern English is saying grace before meals. I got grace. I received grace. I have this food on the table, which I didn't deserve, so I'm going to say grace. I'm going to name it. I'm going to call it grace. That's all gratitude is. But the, and if you, once you understand that, then you understand why the New Testament is talking constantly about gratitude. Because what else is the New Testament talking constantly about? Grace. It's this document that's chock full of grace. 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 God's grace to you. That he let you come back to him once you had already turned your back on him. That he's helping you to change. He's not leaving you stuck where you are. That he has a plan for your life. That he has a good future for you. That he's going to remake all things and you're going to be a part of that. That's grace to you. And the Bible says if you've received that, then you should say something about it. You should express gratitude in response. But the key thing to note is you can't be grateful. You fundamentally cannot be grateful if you feel that you are deserving of it. And my favorite example of how this works, of uh, what gratitude in response to sheer grace looks like, is the 1995 Major League Baseball season. So those of you who are sports fans, you know the 95 season was a strange season. The players and the owners were in dispute, and uh, the players were not going to play, and so the owners decided we're going we're gonna to open the season anyway with whoever we can find. And so you had people who had no business playing Major League Baseball playing Major League Baseball, including Michael Jordan, of all people. Um, and then these other guys who were, who were coaching Little League one week and were playing in the big leagues the next. And I want to read you one writer's description of this. He says, uh, well, I folded this word. Okay. Uh, the, games, the games weren't fancy, mind you. One manager said his pitcher threw the ball so slowly the radar gun couldn't clock him. But oh, did these guys have fun. They arrived before the park was open, oiling their glove, cleaning their cleats. They thanked the attendants for washing their uniforms. They thanked the caterers for food. They thanked the fans for paying a dollar to come and watch them. These guys didn't see themselves as a blessing to baseball, but baseball was a blessing to them. In that short season, the Phillies gave away free hot dogs and sodas, and in the trade of the year, the Cleveland Indians gave five players to the Cincinnati Reds absolutely free. (laughs) So what made this intriguing? What made it magical? Quite simple. These were all guys who were living a life they didn't deserve, and they were chosen not because they were good, but because they were willing. And they knew it. There was no jockeying for position. There was no second-guessing the management. No strikes, no walkouts, no lockouts. These guys didn't even have names on the back of their jerseys, but they were thrilled just to be on the team. Does that describe you? Thrilled to just be on the team? That's gratitude. Receiving something you don't deserve. Grace. Alternatively, if you think you have a right to be on the team, that's a sense of entitlement. That's ingratitude. And that takes us to section number three. 
The third section of the sermon is the sickness of ingratitude. We've seen the significance of gratitude. We've seen where it comes from. But now let's talk about this sickness, the other side of the coin, ingratitude. What's ingratitude? Well, now that we've defined gratitude, it should be pretty simple to figure out what ingratitude is. If gratitude is receiving more than you feel that you've deserved, ingratitude is just feeling that you deserve more than you've received. And so before we proceed any further, let me just ask you point blank, which of those two statements describes you better? Do you feel that you've been given more than you deserve, or do you feel that you deserve more than you've been given? See, none of us think of ourselves as ungrateful people, but when you have to face the question point blank, you realize that ingratitude is more of a problem than we want to admit. And you see this in the way we gripe and grumble and complain. Grateful people don't do that. That's you know through the, all throughout the New Testament as well. Paul's saying, don't do this. If you, if you were grateful, you wouldn't be talking like this. So what's so bad about this ingratitude? It's bad for, for two reasons. First, it's bad because of what it does to God. And second, it's bad because of what it does to us. So first, with respect to God, um, our ingratitude really upsets God. And you understand this instinctively if you're a parent. I don't have to even explain it to you. Because as a parent, nothing is better than gratitude from your kids. You know, thanks for breakfast, Dad. That was really good. Thanks for taking me to the park, Dad. That was really fun. It doesn't get any better than that. And yet, on the other side, nothing is worse than ingratitude. This feeling that your kids just take you for granted. They take everything that they're being given for granted. They always want it to be different. They always want something else. I didn't want it like that. I want it like this. And, and crying and complaining. It makes, you, it makes you really upset. It starts to get to you after a while. And it gets to God, too, when we as his children are ungrateful. But it also is a problem with respect to us. It also messes us up as human beings. You know, we were saying in the first section that that gratitude can almost be seen as part and parcel of salvation itself. Gratitude is soul healing. Gratitude is the way God made us to be. So when you're grateful, you're a human being in alignment. And on the other side, when you're ungrateful, ingratitude is like a sickness, a poison, a disease. Uh, Paul says in Romans 1, and this is actually quite terrifying passage, he's talking about a, a group of people, and he says, they knew God, but they refused to give thanks to him. And as a result of refusing to give thanks to them, their, their minds were confused and their hearts were darkened. Their thinking became futile and their hearts were darkened. What he's saying is ingratitude is actually like a fog that descends, and it clouds your thinking and confuses your emotions. It's a poison. So where does this poison of ingratitude originally come from? Uh, I don't want to weird you out too much, but uh, the answer, the simple answer is it comes from the devil. And I know that many of you don't believe in the devil, even if you believe in God. You say, well, I don't believe in the, in the devil. You know, that's kind of weird. Um, and I don't think I'm necessarily going to be able to change your mind this morning. But you do need to know that the Bible talks about the devil, about Satan as a very real person, being. And it, it talks about him not as this cute guy with horns and a pitchfork and a tail. Rather, the devil, Satan, is this, this person, this force, this power that is incredibly effective at doing one thing, which is spreading poisonous lies. And ingratitude is one of the main brands of poison that the devil likes to spread. And it's because it's so consistent with his own character. This is, ingratitude is one of Satan's own defining characteristic, one of his main traits. 
the reason Satan got kicked out of heaven, this is he was an angel that got kicked out of heaven for ingratitude, for thinking that he deserved more than he was getting. And so from day one, from the first moment of his interaction with the human race, his goal has been to get us to adopt his position, to bring us over to his side of being ungrateful. And this is what the garden was, is what exactly what happens in the Garden of Eden. So God says, here's this whole garden, all these trees, all this fruit. Have whatever you want. It's all for yours. Anything but this one tree, it's all for you. What's the proper response to that? They didn't do anything. They didn't create that garden. They didn't make it. The proper response is, thank you. This is, this is free gift to me. Thank you for all of this. But Satan comes and says, what's with that one tree? Why is God holding out on you like this? You deserve better than this. And the, the poison of sin is in many ways synonymous with the poison of ingratitude. They're, they're kind of the same thing because the lie of the serpent has always been, you deserve better. You deserve better than this. And that lie seeps down into our souls. There's this episode that happens generations later with the Israelites in the desert on their way to the promised land. This is in Numbers 21. They had uh, previously, they had prayed for food and God, this is about as good as it gets in terms of answered prayer. God, in response to their prayer for food, it said, okay, I'm going to make food fall from heaven every day. And then you physically, literally, food falling from heaven, you can, you can gather the food and then you'll be provided for. And so they do that for a little while and then they say, well, you know, it's the same thing every day. I mean, it would be nice to have a little variety. And in response to that, God sends venomous snakes into the camp. Um, and commentators have pointed out, you know, this, there may be a lesson here. This may be a connection back to him saying, remember where ingratitude comes from. It comes from the serpent. It comes from the devil. And I think people, you know, you could, you could see that episode and think, well, God's kind of makes God look bad, you know, kind of vindictive, kind of harsh. They complain and he's in venomous snakes. I mean, it's, you know, it's, is the punishment in proportion to the infraction. But I think the right way of looking at it is to see a couple of things. A, see what a big deal ingratitude is and how seriously God takes it. But B, to see that God is actually being compassionate here in that he's sending the snakes to warn them. It's a warning shot across the bow saying, look, where you're headed, you're headed toward a poison that's far worse than any poison the snake can put into you. You're headed toward separation from me altogether, and I don't want that to happen. That's the sickness of ingratitude, very serious, deadly sickness. So fourth and finally this morning, the fourth section of the sermon, let's talk about a strategy for becoming more grateful. We've seen the the significance of gratitude, we've seen where it comes from, we've seen the other side of the sickness of ingratitude. So how do you move from one to the other? How do you become a more grateful person? And I want to just talk about one strategy. There's a lot we could talk about, but I want to talk about one, hoping that you'll remember it. So the premise is that gratitude grows when it's expressed. And we've kind of been talking about this over the last couple of weeks with other things such as faith. You know, faith, if you want more faith, you just have to act in a faith. You exercise the little faith you have, and then it grows. Same thing with gratitude. You have to actually express your gratitude, say thank you, in order for gratitude to grow. And the best way I know of doing this, this is something I've been recommending to you for years now, I don't know if anybody has actually taken me up on it, is to, to start a gratitude list. So you start this list that you add to every day or every week of things that you're grateful for. You just put at the top, God, these are the things I'm grateful for, and you just add more things as you go. And it happens that this, you know, I had mentioned the research earlier, the, um, the scientific research. This has kind of been the most repeated experiment, having people do this, these gratitude lists. 
And the results are really astonishing that they always, their happiness scores just keep going up and up and up uh, compared to a control group. If they, you know, do five things a week they're grateful for, even something as simple as that. You say, well, how long a list should I make? Well, as long as you can. There was this um, book a couple years ago called A Thousand Gifts, a Christian book by this woman, Ann Voskamp. And she tells the story of saying she's going to try to make a list that goes to a thousand. She's going to make a list of a thousand things she's grateful for. And she chronicles the way that this list, this simple list, absolutely transforms her life inside out. She keeps going beyond a thousand just by keeping this gratitude list. So how could something that simple, so simple as just keeping a list of things you're grateful for, be so transformative? The answer is that the gratitude is not even real until you say it. You're not grateful until you speak it out loud and until you make it specific. Let me read you a quote from C.S. Lewis that expresses this. We'll put this up on the screen. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it's expressed. You see what he's saying? He's saying it's not that you feel it first and then you say it in moment two. It's that you actually don't truly feel it until you say it. The feeling and saying it are one and the same. It's not there until it's expressed. Annie Dillard says the same thing in a slightly different way. Well, let me read this to you as well. She says, Seeing is, of course, very much a matter of verbalization. Unless I call my attention to what passes before my eyes, I simply won't see it. It is, as Ruskin says, not merely unnoticed, but in the full, clear sense of the word, unseen. You don't see it until you say it. So if you say to yourself, well, I'm, I'm very grateful, I just forget to say thank you. No, that's what the nine guys who didn't come back to Jesus would have said. You can't say, I'm grateful, I just forget to say thank you. If you look up the word grateful in a thesaurus, you know what one of the antonyms is? Forgetful. So if you're forgetful, you're by definition not grateful. Saying it, remembering it, writing it down on the list is the gratitude itself. See, I don't know, it kind of seems silly, you know, keeping a list, kind of seems positive thinking, pop psychology, Pollyanna, you know, reminds me of Sound of Music, these are a few of my favorite things. You know, I just don't know if this is my personality. Uh, But I'd encourage you to look at it in a different way. I'd encourage you to see it as the very serious business of prayer. If you go back to those verses that we looked at earlier about gratitude from the New Testament, all these verses saying, be thankful, be thankful, they're all verses about prayer. If you look through the Psalms, a lot of these gratitude Psalms are nothing more than what we're talking about here, just a list. It's just the psalmist saying, I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for this. So if you do this, if you start this list, you know, heading, God, I'm grateful for, dot, 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 and then you start adding things to it. Every time you pull that list out and add something, you know what that is? It's prayer. So if you're not in the habit of praying, this is a really simple, easy way to start. It's a way to start that's guaranteed to make God happy and to make you happy as well. So start this week. Do it on your phone or on your computer or a notebook or a piece of paper. Try to get to 50 by next Sunday and then keep going from there. A simple strategy for growing your gratitude. As we close this morning, I want to turn our thoughts to what we're going to do next, which is take communion, receive the elements, the bread, which represents the body of Christ, and the blood, which uh, the wine, which represents his blood, 
And, you know, we, at our church, we call this ceremony, this ritual communion, but you're probably aware that a lot of churches, they call it the Eucharist. What does that word Eucharist mean? It's the Greek word for Thanksgiving. So this, this is the Thanksgiving meal, more so than the meal on Thursday. This meal that we share with one another every week is the Thanksgiving meal. Paul calls the cup of communion the cup of Thanksgiving. And it's important to remember that of all the things that we have to be grateful for, of all the things God has given us, this is chief among them. That he's given us himself, that he came to us, that he died for us. So as you go this morning to receive the elements, if you are going to go, if you are going to partake, I encourage you to go with a heart full of gratitude. If you're here this morning and you've never taken communion before, maybe today is your day. Maybe today's the day where you receive grace for the first time and you realize that Christ didn't just die, he died for you. And if you haven't been baptized before, you know, we mentioned during the announcements that we have a baptism class coming up. Maybe it's time for you to step across the line. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning with grateful hearts for all the things you've given us that we don't deserve. We repent of our ingratitude. We repent of our complaining, of our acting as though we deserve more than we've been given when you've given to us so much freely even though we haven't done anything to earn it god please bring these things to our minds impress them upon us as we take this simple step of starting a list as silly and as little as that may seem i pray that you would enter into that process and then as we start to thank you for the things in our lives that you would come and that we'd feel your presence, and that our hearts would grow closer to you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.